Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. When in our families, family of one, a family of 20, we begin regularly, daily, systematically to worship families kneeling before God every day, going to God every day, and worshiping on the weekend every day in our secular community, in our culture that is overwhelming us. Families like that, I say it theologically, scares the hell out of the godless. The truth is, authority is necessary for human flourishing. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young shares why authority is necessary today and how to avoid slipping into destructive authoritarianism. Part one of his message, Under Authority, begins in just a moment. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Under Authority. The operative word today is fear. Wherever you look, talk to anybody, go most anywhere, and the conversation sooner or later will center around fear. Everything that most of us thought were nailed down in America seemed to be coming up. For some people, the change that is taking place is getting America right side up. A lot of us would say it's getting America upside down. But the operative word is fear. Between 1800 B.C. and 1600 B.C., Egypt was the strongest country in the world and the most affluent country. Other nations, other tribes were always invading Egypt, trying to conquer them or get something from them because they had great, great prosperity. Egypt threw them all out until finally they had no country, no people that were challenging their power or challenging their security. But the leaders in this particular period of time discovered something. They said, unless we keep the population in fear, we'll lose our power. And so they manufactured through innuendo, through rumor, that we're about to be attacked. Things are about to explode. We're about to lose our whole country. And with that kind of mentality that people dare not change leadership, fear, beginning way back in the B.C. era all the way till today, is a fine thing to keep on the dashboard and on the refrigerator and on all the news to keep a people under control by those who are then in power. Basic principle of history. So what's the answer? What would God say to us, the church? The answer, 
First Corinthians. First Corinthians. Corinth was in a situation much like ours. It was a situation that was totally dominated by Caesar and the Roman government. It was absolutely a situation in which you yielded, you bowed, you conformed to the constrictions of the government. And the result was almost many times anarchy. What is anarchy? It's the last verse in the book of Judges. It said every, there was no king in the land. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's anarchy. So you must have authority. But it's one thing to have authority. It's another thing for that authority to be, to be authoritative. You know the difference. And so what is the answer we read in our Scripture? We're going to look at 14 through 21 of chapter number 4 of 1 Corinthians, and we begin by saying, what's the answer? Very simple. Very simple. Look at verse number 14. Paul says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you, speaking to the church, as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father because of the gospel, through the gospel. What's he saying? He's simply saying, look at it. Look at it. He's saying a very clear thing. He says, father knows best. He does. A father has authority, but a father is not to be authoritative. You have to have authority to have order, to have semblance of things. Some people just resist any kind of authority, but there must be some kind of authority. And here Paul is saying, I am the authority, and I've earned the right to be the authority because I am your father. I brought you to faith in Jesus Christ, and I founded that church. And I found it with the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel involves Truth and grace. You got to have both. If you lose one, the gospel becomes invalid. Grace alone is license. Man, I can do anything, say anything, live any kind of life. I'm all under grace. God will forgive me. That won't work. That's not the gospel. Truth. Oh, truth is big. But truth is not the gospel alone because with only truth, you have legalism. Don't do this, don't do that, legalism. So the gospel has to have grace and truth. And Paul said, I came to you with grace and truth, and I am your father, therefore I have authority. And he didn't come with someone who was exercising authority in the sense it became authoritative. Explanation. Authority is someone who has a position and they're in charge, and they have a mutual goal with all of those who would follow them. And that authority person would come and try to get all the input that he can and all the giftedness that he can and all the ideas that he can and use all the creativity that was there. And the authority then would subjugate his authority and all of a sudden it is a family with a structure of a father 
that would lead out together all the mentality, all the creativity, all the ability. And the father is a cheerleader and encourager and someone who tries to put the person in the right place at the right time. That's the right kind of authority. That's true leadership. But there's an authoritative thing here. Man, I'm in charge. You do this. You don't do that. You move over there. Hey, I'm speaking on behalf of God. Just say it's the Lord. I, I'm in authority here, and I run the show. That's authoritative leadership. It's not true authority leadership. Paul says, Father knows best. I am coming to you in this position. I'm coming to you as an authority under God. He said, you may have a thousand people who will have input in your lives and tutors that will direct you. He said, you only have one dad. You only have one dad. I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand more times. If you want to change America, you let the fathers in the home stand up and be a spiritual leader and a lover, and you'll change our land. How does this work? How, how does it operate? It's like the conductor of a symphony orchestra. Uh, you have a lot of gifted people in and of themselves in a, in a super major symphony. Every one of the instrumentalists, everyone who participated, they, they have a lot of ability. They're soloists. They have talent. They have creativity. They're learned. They may be degreed. But the conductor stands up, and you're going to present uh, Beethoven's fifth or something, then all the orchestra had to submit themselves to the score and to the music and let the conductor be the one who does how we interpret this particular piece of music. Or otherwise, you have the piccolo player going over here and the cymbal player going over here, but together under a conductor, my goodness, there is Beautiful music because all the creativity and giftedness is bring, is bring out and it contributes to the whole. That is leadership. That is leadership. That is authority. Bam, and underneath that, there's not an authoritarianism. Very, very important. Paul says, I come to you as your father, and father knows best. And then the next thing he says, imitate me. Imitate your father. My goodness, that's dangerous for most of us who are fathers. Verse 16, he says, therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. You know what we say? All right, kids, don't do as I do, as, as I used to do. I want you. No, no, no. You mean what happens to us? With our children pretty much do what we have them to do until they get to be about 12 or 13. And tragically, mom and dad, they begin to live like we live. Oh, yeah. We, 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 we train and we guide. And there's a process in a family. It's like an illustration of, of, of a, a colt is born in a stall, 
and the coat stands up and stays in the stall until the coat can be in the barn. And then when the coat gets ready to the barn, the coat goes out in the corral. And finally, when the coat matures, you open the gates and the coats are in the field. And everywhere there were restraints there. But as we bring up our children, as we trust them and build the right stuff in them, they have more and more responsibility. Still, when they're in the wide field, there are fences out there. There may be physical fences, but primarily there are fences within when mom and dad has systematically built the right stuff of God in their lives. That's how we progress. That's how we grow. And Paul stands up. This father stands up. He said, I want you to imitate me. They imitate us whether we like it or not, folks. That's how it happens. Be an imitator of me, a father. George Washington was called what? The father of our country. Why? Well, he was general of the army in the revolution. Yeah. And he, he presided over the Continental Congress. All these documents came to be, yeah. He's our first president. Man, and anybody who studied history seriously know that they would have made him king. Washington had the ability when he could have taken more power, he gave power away. When power would come to him, he would give it away and refuse to assume it. He had four times to assume more power, and he did the very opposite. He moved away from assuming more power. That's unprecedented leadership. That's why these brilliant, gifted founders of our land looked to Washington because they knew he could handle power. You see what we're saying? Father. Father of our country. Father of a family. Father knows best. What is the answer? Imitate the Father, the Father God. And then Paul says, about you in the church at Corinth, what happened in Corinth? Say it one more time. The non-Christians in Corinth could not be distinguished from the Christians in Corinth. That sound familiar? A non-Christian, no different than a Christian, and the culture had swallowed the church. And Paul is trying to address that to show them that God's principles are not arbitrary. They're not mean. They're just simply saying, well, what is a book? What is a Bible? Some would say the book, the Bible is an authoritative book. Don't do this. Do this. Conform that. Get under the Bible. It is authoritative. It is not. It is the book of authority. And when God is there over us and our relationship to Jesus Christ, you know what you find? Freedom. Living God's way in Christ is total, complete, celebratory freedom. That is the authority. And Paul says to the Corinthians, he said, I'm sending you help. Father knows best. Imitate me as your spiritual father. And then he says, I'm sending you help. He said, I'm sending Timothy to you. Look at it. it it's an interesting thing. He said, verse 17, for this reason I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways, 
said Paul, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. He's saying he's going to remind you of the ABCs and the XYZs so that you as Christians may grow up and be adequate and be my representative in a culture that has overwhelmed you. I'm sending help. And then Paul says, oh, hold on. He said, I'm also coming. Verse 19, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. Oh, there's a big word. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Oh, what do we do? What's our answer to all this fear that we have? Maybe pretended fear, maybe genuine fear. What is the answer? Father knows best under the authority of God in Christ. The imitation of those, the Father there, he said, would be God in Jesus Christ as a man in Christ was Paul. And then he said, Timothy is going to come to you and remind you of the ABCs. And hopefully, he says, you'll grow up and get to the XYZs of your faith in maturity. He says, but I'm going to come. And I'm going to come and see if all of those in the culture and even in the church who become arrogant with words, with words, they've redefined words. Have you noticed? They've redefined titles, have you noticed? They've redefined everything. They have been a modification of history. He says, I'm going to come and see if all of these who have all of these words are of the kingdom of God. Is it just words? If it's of the kingdom, words with them have power. You get it? Remember the kingdom of God, basic principle. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven in the Bible are interchangeable. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of God? It is already. Remember? The kingdom of God comes, you draw a circle, get in the middle of that circle. If the Lord Jesus Christ runs your life and he is in your life and you're in Christ, a man or a woman in Christ, in the middle of that circle is the kingdom of God. Jesus came. He says, I have brought to you the kingdom the kingdom, it is already, but also it's not yet, remember? In other words, thy kingdom come in the Lord's prayer. We're praying for the second coming of Jesus Christ. But also thy will be done on earth as is in heaven, not only in heaven, but right now as we are kingdom citizens, not just in words, but in lifestyle, in commitment, in lordship. And therefore, the kingdom is here now in Christ, in those who are in Christ, and in his body, the church, and the kingdom will come. It's already, but it's not yet. And therefore, Paul is saying, I am coming to see if those who are talking so much, bragging so much, instructing so much, contrary to basic ABCs, XYZs of Christianity with law and with grace, truth and with reconciliation, he said, I'm going to see if they've got any power. Let's have a power contest. Where do we get power?
flip to your left to John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father hmm, had given all things unto his hands, and that he had come forth from God, was going back to God. Now listen, it's always a mystery that Jesus was totally man and totally God. There are reams of theological debate. When did he know he was totally God? When did he have a life that was totally human? Human, divine, divine, human. How does that play out? If he were always divine, his human life would have been a charade, wouldn't it? So there's always a mystery. Man, God, God, man. But here at this moment, did you hear the verses? It says Jesus now, we know at this moment at least, he knew that all power was in his hands. Whatever he'd known or not known before as God-man, at this moment, he said, all power is in his hand. What is he going to do with that power, folks? What's he going to do with it? Man, maybe he'll call down lightning, zip, and destroy the Roman Empire. Bang, he could do that. He could do that. 10,000 angels, bang, he could do that. Man, he could part the Red Sea or the Atlantic Ocean. He could do that. He could take Mount Sinai and move it to California. He could do that. All power was in his hands. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here in an oppressed moment of great fear. And my goodness, if all power, you know, what did Jesus do with all that power? Read the next verses. He went around to his apostles. He took off their sandals and washed their feet. Hmm. Strange use of power. And then in just a few hours, a day or so, he who had all the power, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, all the power of the almighty God was nailed to a cross and a cosmic event took place as all the power of God invested in him, Jesus of Nazareth, died for straggly human beings like you and like me. What's, what's the most powerful thing in this world? First John tells us, <laughs> it's very clear. First John chapter 18, it says, by his love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because he, Jesus, is so also are we in the world. Listen, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, that's Christ, cast out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. 
the most powerful thing in the world at our disposal as Christians and as a church is love. And love is not just mush and emotion and feeling. Love is something you do, and love also implies discipline. Father, imitate me. Timothy is going to come and teach you the ABCs of churchanity and Christianity. And I am going to come and establish the kingdom of God among you. And it's based on the power of love which casts out all fear. Now, let's get very simple and very practical. Each and every one of us sells out to Jesus Christ and lives a life empowered by his spirit with humility and grace. Every one of us begins to do what I say over and over again, to have narrow worship every day, I thou, Myself and God, you and God with Scripture and prayer. Narrow worship every day. And then we have wide worship when we come together as a family of God. That's power. And we begin to be lovers. 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 When individuals live like that under Christ and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and of his book, I say this theologically, not as a profane thing. When you and I begin to live like that, it scares the hell out of those who are secular. The second step is the family. Father knows best. Father says, imitate me. He says, here's the kingdom. Here's how it operates. And you're in the kingdom. And therefore, when in our families, family of one, a family of 21, we begin regularly, daily, systematically to worship as a family, Families kneeling before God every day, going to God every day, and worshiping on the weekend every day in our secular community, in our culture that is overwhelming us. Families like that, I say it theologically, scares the hell out of the godless. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. We hope today's message has encouraged you to build your life on the proven truth of God's Word. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.